The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So I, I told Dale just before I came in here, uh, it's, it's been, I guess it's been five weeks since I spoke last, four Sundays that I haven't uh, been here um, preaching, and if, it feels like new again. The first time, I don't even remember what to do. I don't know where to put my hands. Who in here, let's just get a a feel for the room. Who in here uh, grew up in the South? Anybody? Raise your hands. Krispy Kreme donuts, amen. Uh, Who here grew up in the North? I guess everybody else, raise your hands so we get a feel. All right. Did you put sauerkraut on hot dogs? Do you do that? Oh, man, that is disgusting. You know... You know, it's like, it's something that has gone bad, right? I mean, it's not, not good anymore. I don't understand that. But uh, where I grew up, I didn't even know there was another way to do it. You put uh, on a hot dog, you have a nice soft bun, and you put uh, chili, and then uh, obviously mustard, and, you, and ketchup as well. I know this is very controversial, ketchup on a hot dog. And then uh, onions, and then on top of that, the chili, and the onions, and the ketchup, and the, you put the slaw on top of that. And that is, that is good eating. If it, it may sound gross, give it a shot. Uh, I also eat bowl of peanuts, so you know, don't hold that against me. Uh, who here grew up in church? Anybody grew up in church? All right. Anybody did not grow up in church? Let me see your hand. It's okay. You can be safe here. All right. Very cool. Well, we're going to be in the book of Jonah today, and it's kind of, a, kind of a, a tricky book to be in. First of all, it's a tricky book to find in your Bible, right? So let's just take, like, let's just take the pressure off of everybody today. It is okay. If you have trouble finding, you don't have to be the one that's acting like you know exactly where Jonah is and you're just kind of flipping through hoping your neighbor doesn't see you. Like, it's okay to look at the table of contents and to flip around and try to find your way. It's, can we all be okay with that today? All right, we all don't know where Jonah is. Leaf around in there. It's about two-thirds of the way back there. Uh, unless you went to Iwana like I did. Anybody go to Iwana, grow up at church? Anybody know the, the Old Testament books of the Bible by song? I'm not going to make you sing it now, but yes, absolutely. You know. So Jonah, Micah, and Nahum. Anyway, it's back there. And Jonah is a weird book of the Bible to, uh, to talk about because it's a favorite book. Uh, anybody grew up in Sunday school classes? Anybody old enough to go to yeah, Sunday school classes? A favorite story in Sunday school classes because it's a crazy story, right? I mean, we can own this a crazy story. Uh, we talk about this a lot at Doxa. Let's own that the whole idea that we're here is crazy. If you're a Christian today, if you're here to worship God, you believe that Jesus, who was the part of the triune creator guy, created this whole world. He was born of Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life. He was killed, then he rose again, and then he's coming back riding a white horse, and there's going to be a sword coming out of his mouth. So that's what we believe already is kind of outlandish. And so when we get to the book of Jonah, it doesn't make the idea that the man went on the, a boat and he fell over, was thrown over the side and went into the belly of a big fish or a whale, or depending on whether you watch Veggie Tales or not, uh, what, what happened in that whole thing. We're not really sure, but it makes it seem a little bit less crazy, but it is a crazy story. Uh, anybody old enough, I know I do a lot of polls here, and I'm going to date myself because all the CO students here, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about because by the time you came along, churches could afford to have like TVs that had DVD players, and so you watched it on VeggieTales. Anybody watch Jonah on the VeggieTales? Yeah. Um, so my generation, and I'm not that... Well, I am a lot older than you. Uh, Sush came out and hung out with me on Tuesday, and he informed me that the year I graduated from high school, he was born. Yeah. 
So that was exciting. He took real pleasure, and he's a real matter-of-fact kind of guy, that Sush, but he took a lot of pleasure in telling me that, had a, like a little evil twinkle in his eye. But uh, when, I, when I was a kid and we were in Sunday school class, uh, we had felt boards. Anybody remember felt boards? Uh, this is pre-DVDs, or if you're in a church that's poor like mine, and you, you had, to, like, they had to like keep kids' attention, you would have a felt board. And what that is kids is there would be an actual board and you would cover it with felt and then you would have these uh, paper cut out figurines of Bible stories, Bible characters, and they would have felt on the back of those pieces of paper and you would stick it on the felt board and it would like you would do like the whole story with everybody and Jonah was a great one because it was like the deluxe pack of felt board characters because Jonah you would come and he would be like he'd be hanging around and then he hears God speak to him and he runs away from God and he gets into the boat and there'd be like a, a paper boat that you would stick Jonah in anybody so you'd stick Jonah in the boat then he'd go out in the water and then like oh no the storm's coming and then you would take Jonah out and you would put him on like he's under the boat and and then there would be, this is like the deluxe pack, there would be a whale, and there'd be a whale, and he would, he would have like a slit in, the, in his mouth, and he would stick Jonah in the, in the mouth of the whale. And then it was cool because you're a kid, and then it was like, and then Jonah would get, he was in there like three days, and then the whale came and spit him up. He spewed him, is the actual word, like he, he threw him up onto the dry land. Then he would pick him out, and then he would like, you'd have another picture of Jonah that you'd pull out, and he would have like seaweed all over him, and he'd look all gross, and all the kids, like the girls like, oh, that's gross, and all the boys like, Oh, that's awesome. And then, like, but the problem, and, and if, maybe you just got the boring kind of VeggieTale version or some other version, but uh, the, the problem, and this isn't really anything bad with it, the problem with that is that sometimes we grow up hearing these stories so much that it starts to become almost like fairy tales to us, Right? And somewhere in the back of our mind, even though we know it's in the Bible, it's somehow we sort of relegate it to like, you know, Rumpelstiltskin. Did they still tell Rumpelstiltskin? Is that just, it's Rumpelstiltskin or, um, I don't know why I picked that one out, that's the hardest one to say, or Cinderella or Snow White or some sort of like fairy tale. And we sort of relegate it to our mind because it's a crazy story. Just like Cinderella's walking around with talking mice and little birds to help her make her dress and Jonah got, you know, fell into the mouth of a whale and then got spit out of the mouth three days later, right? It's sort of a crazy story. I call it the felt mortification of Bible stories. It is a word now, okay? I just coined it. But the problem with that is, see, the Bible is actually a real book telling real stories. And the Bible is not like cutesy and fluffy. It's not like a Winnie the Pooh story. The Bible is full of real, gritty, and true stories. In fact, most of the Bible isn't made for kids. Like, we decorate our kids' rooms with, like, knowing the ark. You ever thought about how terrible that would be? Imagine how smelly and gross that place would be with all those animals on there. I mean, it's... It, it, Noah and his family are safe in a boat by, by the rest of the population are being killed outside and then we want to decorate our kids' rooms with that. No offense if that's what you've done. But the Bible is a true, real, gritty story. It's full of murder, adultery, betrayal, broken hearts, lies. And that's just the main figures. 
Abraham, who is the father of our faith and the father of the three largest faiths on the, world, on the face of the earth, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, Abraham himself, he, whenever he didn't believe God's promise that he was going to give him a son, he took his wife up on the proposition that he'll go sleep with her maid and so that he'll get her pregnant so that he can have an heir. And then that doesn't go very well. And later on, he's walking around in the wilderness and he passed through Egypt and he knows that his wife is a hottie. On the Bible, it doesn't say hottie, but it says that she was a beautiful woman. And he knows that she's so beautiful that when the king of Egypt sees her, he's going to want her. You understand what I'm saying, kids? Want her? And so what Abraham does is he says, he says to his wife, here, play along with me. When we meet the king of Egypt, act like we're not married. I'm going to tell him you're my sister. So Abraham pimps out his, or tries to pimp out his wife to the king of Egypt in order to save his own life. God comes in, steps in, and stops that from happening, by the way. That's Abraham try to pimp out his wife. Jacob, who we also call Israel, his grandson, who, the, by the way, the whole nation of Israel is named after the 12 tribes of Israel come from. Jacob tricked his father. He was a, he was a mama's boy. He and his mom came with a plan, so just kind of add a little Jerry Springer element into it. He, he, he is in cahoots with his mom, tricks his dad and his brother into giving him his birthright. His son, Judah, Marries his son off, he dies, he marries that son off, he gives, gives her the, because you would pass down the wife if they didn't have kids, and you know, just stick with me, and, and, then, and then he dies, and he thinks she's cursed, and so he won't give her like, what is due to her, and so she tricks him by pretending to be a prostitute by the side of the road, and he comes out and hangs out with her, you know what I'm saying, hangs out with her, I'm trying to keep it G-rated or PG-rated here, hangs out with her, gets her pregnant, with his kid. This is the Bible, guys. It is gritty and it is real. It's not fairy tales. It's not Cinderella. It's not Snow White and cute little dwarves. This is real gritty stuff that is going on here. The Bible is not a story about people who are our examples, our book of morals for us to follow or not follow. The Bible is primarily a story about God and about a faithless people who keep dropping the ball, and yet he is faithful and keeps picking the ball back up. It's about a people who are sinful and rebellious, and yet he is loving to them. It's about a people who are undeserving, and yet he is gracious to them. It's about a people who are lost and, and hopeless, and yet he redeems them. So you and I can find somewhere in the story to sort of relate to that. See, the problem that you and I have is, I have a seven-year-old, the guys around, Doc's to kind of joke, it's not, not really a joke anymore, like, I don't watch many movies. Uh, Pinto watches like 300 movies a year, I watch like half a movie a year, and I have a seven-year-old daughter and a four-year-old son, so you guys kind of know the, the few movies that I do watch, what they are. And so I don't know if this speaks to how good this movie is or just how few movies I, I have seen, but probably the best movie I saw last year was the Lego movie. Anybody seen it? It's a brilliant movie, I think. It's just really well written. It's, it's incredible. But here's the thing about the Lego movie. These Legos are, are running around and 
having, you know, everything is awesome days and everything is, is, is going along just awesome. And, and, and that world seems real to them. The Lego world seems like everything that, every, everything that they see is everything that there is until this guy named Emmett sees a, a, pretty, a pretty girl, like has cool hair and like that cool, that sexy, boxy Lego girl like body. And he, he sees her and he's taken with her and he chases after her and he falls down a hole. And we find out later on that in that whole process, he ends up seeing the hand of the man upstairs. And he, who was like, the most normal Lego guy in the world, the most like unremarkable Lego guy in the world becomes something special because he has met the man upstairs. And then later on in the story when he becomes a hero near the climax and he's like kicked out of Lego world, he falls down that tube and he falls outside Lego world. Anybody seen it? Anybody remember? If you don't, just rent it when you get home. It's, It's no big deal. When he falls out of the Lego world, all of a sudden he sees the wider world outside. And then whenever he comes back to Lego world, like things start to make sense and click. And see, you and I are constantly being seduced into thinking that this world is all there is. And this system, the way things flow along and roll along, that this is all that there is. And God seems like a fairy tale. And the book and the stories in the Bible seem like crazy mythology. When when actually they are more real than the uncomfortable metal chair that you're sitting in or the nasty school gym smell you're smelling right now. God is more real than the very chair that you're sitting on right now. And that's the scene that God enters into as we begin the book of Jonah. See, Jonah was, we don't know a whole lot about him, but we know that he was a prophet in the nation of Israel. So stick with me here. There were, uh, so I, our, we already mentioned like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then there are 12 tribes, and then fast, they fast forward, they start a country, and then they get a king. They get Saul, they get David, who was a great king, who, again, by the way, says that he was a man after God's own heart. God says that, and yet, like he, in a moment of incredible, incredible lust, has like a faithful man killed and he sleeps with his wife, gets her pregnant, and he ends up being the next king of Israel. And then as a judgment for what he did, God comes to him and says, here's what's going to happen. The nation's going to be split. But I, to, because I love you, I'm going to wait until your son dies. And so Solomon comes along. The nation of Israel just flourishes like crazy. He's rich beyond imagination. The the nation of Israel is powerful and strong. And then when he dies, sure enough, the nation is split into two nations. And the ten northern tribes keep the name Israel, and they're up north. And then you have the two southern tribes, and they form Judah, where Jerusalem is. And Judah kind of follows along like the rest of the kind of pattern of the, the nation of Israel before that. And they kind of have, like kind of like you and I, like I, I don't know what your pattern as a Christian has been, but like they'll have a, a good few years and they have a bad few years. And they have a good few years and a bad few years. And God will bring a prophet and he'll prophesy to them and they'll repent and come back. Or they'll bring a prophet and something terrible will happen and then they'll repent and they'll come back. But the nation of Israel is sort of up, not up north, the ten northern king, uh, 
10 northern tribes, it's sort of bad from the beginning. Its first king is a guy named Jeroboam, and he's the first king who makes worships, worship of idols official in the nation. And so then all the kings after him, it says it's a wicked king, a wicked king, an evil king, an evil king. After him, it'll say, and so-and-so followed after, the, after his father Jeroboam. All the way down till we get to Jeroboam II. And in the reign of Jeroboam II, Jonah comes along and God speaks to him. And he tells Jonah, I'm going to actually cause the nation of Israel to prosper. And I'm going to give you back some of the territories that you've lost to the Assyrians, which is the powerhouse that's on the nation, on the face of the globe right now. And I'm going to expand your borders and you're going to take back almost all the territory that you've lost from the Assyrians. And so Jonah is probably, guys, feeling his oats because he gets to be the good guy, right? Like other prophets come along and they say, hey, terrible things are going to happen. You're going to, your children are going to die. Enemies are going to come in. You're going to lose your crops and your houses. And Jonah gets to come in and say, hey, guys, we're going to prosper. We're going to expand. And that's exactly what happens. The nation expands. So Jonah's probably feeling his oats, He's probably really excited because God has chosen to move again among his chosen people and give them favor so they can take back the territory that they've lost. And maybe, we don't know about this, but maybe he's hoping in his heart, even because even though they're still spiritually rebellious, maybe he's hoping that God will bring an awakening to his people and the nation, the nation of Israel. And then, as we already mentioned, you have Assyria, which is this powerful, the most powerful empire on the face of the earth at this time, and there's a city called Nineveh, which by ancient standards is huge. It's like Shanghai. It's like Mexico City. It's 120,000 people in a walled city. Can you imagine that? It is crazy big. It is metropolitan. It is powerful. Whenever it Whenever we see that it's called a great city here in the book of Jonah, it's not saying it's just like a big city. It's saying it's a large, important, powerful city. And they hated the Jews, and they were a very, very, uh, they were just bad people, really. I mean, they would come in and conquer a new territory, and they would rape and pillage the area. And so they deserved God's judgment. And it's about this city that we start off in Jonah 1.1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And what we see here right off the bat is Jonah's will. His thoughts about how the world work and should work comes in direct competition with God and his will. Jonah had prophesied success to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. He viewed everybody outside who was not a Jew as Jews would call people who were the Gentiles. They would often call them dogs. They viewed them as totally unfavored by God, and they were God's favored people. And so when the, the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, we're going to hear what that word was in just a second. When the word comes to him, well, we already read, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And whenever he heard that, we learn in chapter 4, he hated to hear that. 
Because see, God didn't need to tell Jonah to go to Nineveh to tell them they're going to be destroyed because of their great evil. Just so they would be destroyed. He knew God was telling him to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to them because God might have mercy upon them. And he hated that idea because they deserved everything that they had coming to them. Jonah was self-righteous and self-important. And you and I are the same way. There are people around you, around me, that quite frankly, I think, are not smart enough, are not good enough. They have messed up and they have coming to them exactly what they deserve. They've messed up with their life. They've squandered their chances. They've done the wrong thing over and over and over again. And what they have coming to them is what is justly and rightly coming to them. And if you and I are honest, we have the same thoughts about the people around us. We might base it on something different than morality. We might base it on people who are not as smart as us. We might make base it on people who have a different color than us. That's actually kind of what was going on here with Jonah. He was just flat out racist. It might be against people who are, uh, who are from a different part of the country or go to a different school than you. It's hard for me, quite frankly, as a Clemson fan to think that God loves a Gamecock fan at all. I have no idea how he does it. He is rich in mercy. But see, you and I want to judge our sense of identity and our sense of right standing before God or before other men or before ourselves upon something that you feel comfortable with. So it might be your sense of athleticism or it might be your intelligence or it might be your ability to dress or the car that you drive or the school that you go to or where you live or, or any sort of number of things that we base, build our sense of identity around and when other people don't measure up to it, we consider them less than myself. That's called self-righteousness no matter what it looks like. It's self-importance. What's going on there is I have put myself in the judgment seat and I am judging about other people because I want to feel good desperately about myself. And when God shows up to speak to Jonah, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, and he tells him to go to Nineveh, frankly, Jonah wants no part of that. Because God himself has crossed his sense of morality. How dare he give mercy to the heathen? How dare he give mercy to the evil? How dare he give mercy to the people who deserve what, exactly what is coming to them? And when you and I do that, we put ourselves in the judgment seat. And our will is crossing with God's will. But not only does his will cross with God's will, but God calls him. He says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it for their evil has come up before me. And Jonah, because he wanted no part of that, he decided, I am going to get out of here. And he did, rose to flee to Tarshish. Now, the interesting thing about this word Tarshish, that Cam, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I, you know, have internet access. So it, he says, uh, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That word Tarshish, it may be an actual city, or it may just mean like he just rose to go out to sea to get away from God. 
from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, which was not a Jewish port, and found a ship to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now here's an interesting thing. God has upon you and me two calls. He called John, Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh. And he calls you and he calls me to bow our knee to him and to confess him as Lord and to follow him. And when God calls you, the question is, what do you do with that? Do you run physically or metaphorically? Or do you bow your knee to him and obey him? Even if his will seems crazy to you. And the second call that comes to you and me, once we're a believer, is a call, is many calls to obedience. And somewhere along the way, his call to you is going to cross what you feel is right. It's going to cross what you feel is just. It's going to cross what you think is the right thing to do. It's unfair what he calls you to do. When your father or mother, and I can imagine how difficult it is when your father or mother has abused you and he calls you to forgive them, that's going to be, it's going to feel unfair and wrong. When God calls you to obey him and do something that's tough and hard, it's going to feel wrong and unfair when he calls you to do something or not do something that he doesn't seem to be calling the people around you to do. God, why don't you seem to have the same parameters on the other Christians that are around me? Why are you, why are you telling me to not do that and they can do that and they seem fine with it? It's going to seem unfair or wrong, but the question is not whether it's fair or wrong. The question is, will you obey? Because the truth is that God is not sitting up in heaven asking you or asking me for advice on how to run the world. He's kind of got this thing under control. He kind of has all wisdom and all knowledge and all power. And he's not looking for my two cents about what I think he should do and not do. He didn't come to Jonah and ask him, what do you think I should do with the city of Nineveh? Why don't you tell me what you think is fair? He put out a call to him, and Jonah's part was to obey. And that's it. And that's your part and my part. And it could be that you're sitting here today, and you know, I don't know what it is. But there's something in your heart and your mind, and you know God has called you to obey. And you have put it off, which may be what's happening here with Jonah, or you're flat out disobeying him. And we're going to see what happens with that in a moment. God has a will. God has a call for you. But then we're going to see that God 
knows. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Notice this, this is very interesting. So Jonah gets on a ship with pagans who do not worship God, or do not worship the one true God, and yet when the Rubber hits the road when the ship, the ship is threatened to break up. The mariners, the ship, the, the sailors all were afraid and they cried out each to their own God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten her for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. We don't know what's going on here. Why would he go down there and sleep in the middle of a storm? I think it's because he kind of hoped he would die in the storm. Because for him, he would rather die than do what God had called him to do. It was that unfair. It was that wrong. It went against that much his own sense of morality. And by the way, you and I have a sense of morality, and usually large portions of our sense of morality are things that we have cobbled together because the, it's just part of the society that we live in. It says what's right for you is what's right for you, and it may not be what's right for me. And so you and I go through life constructing our own sense of morality and what's right and wrong. And we never test it and say, what does God say about this? So then when God says something that knocks up against it, we think all of a sudden he's wrong and we've forgotten the fact that he's the one that's on the throne and I'm not. I'm not the one that gets to decide what is moral and what is immoral. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Good God, man, what is wrong with you is what he's saying. Perhaps that God, your God, and again, see, like we're all worshiping our God, perhaps your God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then it's still going bad, and they're noticing. Notice this. The people around Jonah who did not follow God notice that there is something supernatural and spiritual at the base of this storm. It's not just a hurricane they've run into. Like There is something weird and spiritual going on here. So they cast lots. And look at this. God put his finger into the middle of their casting lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. In the hands of these pagan guys who did not worship Yahweh, he puts his finger in their middle, in the midst of them, and directs even how the lot falls. Verse 8. And then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They're like, tell us what's going on. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. That's Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. These pagan sailors were exceedingly afraid. They said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he, has done, done, he had told them. One of two things had taken over Jonah at this moment. He was either taken over with a temporary madness or he was trying to find a loophole in God's command. And you and I do the same thing 
every single day. Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. He knew that he was the God who made the heavens and the earth. He knew there is nowhere you can go to get away from that God. That he is at any given point everywhere and knows all things without exerting any bit of effort. At this moment, God is everywhere in the universe. There is nothing that goes beyond his sight or his knowledge. He has complete and utter and absolute knowledge of every molecule, every flower that is on every side of every mountain, every droplet of water. He knows exactly where they are and exactly where they're going and exactly where they're coming from at any given moment without exerting any sort of effort. Jonah knew that. And yet, when the word of God comes to him and he wants no part of it, the call of God comes to him and he wants no part of it, he tries to flee from the presence of God. So either temporary madness came upon him because he all of a sudden was acting like what he knew was true was not true. Don't you and I do the same thing? If the God that we are here to worship this morning is everywhere and at all places at any given time without exerting any effort, if he knows all things at all times, where can we flee from his presence? Don't we try? When I don't want to obey him, when I don't want to listen to him, I, don't, I just want to do it today. I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to be nice. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to go out and uh, whatever it is for you, it could be small, it could be large. Whenever I don't want to do that, I'm going to try to get away from him. And we get away from him lots of ways. We zone out in front of the TV. We go online. We listen to music. And nothing against any of those things, by the way. We go out and hang out with somebody. We go talk with people. Just anything that I can possibly do so I can get away from him for this one moment. There's nowhere we can go to flee from his presence. God knows and God is there. He was either taken with a temporary madness or he was trying to find a loophole. So maybe he was thinking, if I, so God said in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Here's what I'll do. Maybe, maybe I I can just get out on the water and maybe that the the time will pass. Like I know I'm supposed to go tell them in 40 days it's going to happen, but maybe I can just get on the water. The time will pass or, or maybe he'll just go ahead and do it. Or maybe he'll find somebody else that will do it. Maybe that'll be the loophole. If I go out on the water, if I get away from him, if I go to some port city far away from other people who know him or worship him, you ever try to do that? that? Get away from other people who love him and worship him? Maybe he won't find you there. Maybe time will pass. Maybe the statute of limitations will lapse. Oh Lord, you have searched me and have known me. You have known when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before, even before, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. If you are his, if he is after you, there's no way you can run away from him. No matter how hard you try, no matter how utter temporary madness may come upon you, He will find you because he is there already wherever you are going. But not only does he know, but God controls. Then they said to him, verse 11, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, these men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. Already upon them is growing the sense of fear of the true and one God. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. So they pick up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. There's, God is in absolute and utter control, no matter how hard you may run. And today you may be wondering, Randy, you're saying, I'm running and I can't run from him, but maybe I've messed this whole thing up. There's no thought, no distance you can run that he is not in control of. There's nowhere you can go that he is not governing. Look, Jonah's own disobedience, he goes out and he flees. He disobeyed God. He should not have done that. But what did God do? More people came to know and worship God than would have otherwise whenever he was fleeing on that ship. The men on the ship end up bowing their knee to the one and true God and confessing that he is Lord and making vows to him. There is nothing that you can do to thwart his plan. God is in utter and absolute control. There's nothing that you've done that can mess up your life and mess up his plan. He's not like, oh no, I'm on a plan B. I'm on a plan C that keep making bad choices. He is in absolute and utter control of everything at all times. And the thing you see that Jonah forgot at best and rejected at worst is the same thing that you and I forget at best and reject at worst. And that is our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. His world does not revolve around me or my personal views about morality or ethics or uh, God's word is not His world does not revolve around my political views or the religion of my youth or the nation I live in. God isn't consulting me on his policies on running the world. He isn't bending his all-encompassing knowledge, his infinite wisdom and never-ending power to you or my 
finite whims. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. I was talking to a a cousin of mine Friday and they were getting ready to go uh, this weekend on a a family trip. (coughs) Excuse me, a family vacation with a whole extended family. So that's mom and dad and three kids, their spouses and all of their kids. And so they were already talking about like, you know, kind of the stresses and the drama, the drama that could happen when you get all the family together. You know what I'm saying, right? And so he, I was talking about that and I said like, well, who's the peacemaker? Like when everybody, when, when you see like things are getting stressful and bad things are happening, like who comes in and kind of calms everybody down? And they, t- they talked about it for a minute, like, I don't know who that is. And then finally somebody said, no, it's dad. Eventually, it gets too far, and dad slams his fist down and says, that's enough. And then everybody scatters, and things quiet down. And sometimes, that's what you and I need. When we get to thinking that we are in control, that our will is what's important, that I should do whatever I want to do, God comes in and reminds us, oftentimes with a storm, that he is in control and that we are not. But here's what's different between God and that father I was just describing. When God, your father, if you're a believer in Christ, whenever he slams his fist down and says enough, we don't scatter we drop to our knees. But what can we do with this? Because I don't know about you, but I am Jonah. I am often overtaken with temporary madness or I'm trying to find a loophole. I often don't think his will is really the smartest way or the best way. But here's the good news, is that even though Jonah heard the call of God and ran the opposite way, there was one who bowed his will to that of the Father and said, not my will, but yours be done. There is one who obeyed God's call and left his comfort, the comfort of heaven, to come to us, to an evil land, to an evil people who were rebellious and hard-hearted and deserved what was coming to them, deserved what was coming to me, deserved what was coming to you. And he came to us willingly, knowing all of our sin and all of our mess, and he gave himself for us, being thrown overboard, by those who would later confess that he was Lord for the saving of your soul and my soul to pay the penalty just as Jonah was thrown over the side of the boat and he paid the penalty for the rest of the boat there was one who willingly laid his life down gave himself up for you and for me that we might be redeemed this morning if you aren't a Christian How can you not bow your knee to so great a God and place your life at the mercy of such a gracious Savior?
And if you are a Christian, as we prepare our hearts for communion and the band comes up, here's the question. Are you kicking against God's will or call in your life? Have you forgotten or rejected that he is in control? Are you pretending that he doesn't know? Have we forgotten that he's God? And I'm not. And the story isn't about me. It's about him and his glory. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.